Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of the Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, my guest is Guru Singh. Welcome, Guru Singh. I'm pleased and very welcome to be here. Guru Singh is best described in a few powerful words, electric, vital, and vibrant. He's a celebrated third-generation yogi, master spiritual teacher, author, and musician who gracefully brings ancient spiritual practices and philosophies into the now with ease. Humanity, humility, and a healthy dose of humor, which I got to experience during a week-long men's event in the summer of 2019, and have an ongoing experience of gratitude in my heart for that. Guru Singh also fuses Eastern mysticism into Western pragmatism in an accessible and transformative way. And I'm truly excited for this and this episode. So let's get started, Guru Singh. I'm ready for all that we are going to explore. Yeah, let's, let's, let's start with, you know, bringing, being that bridge of Eastern mysticism into Western pragmatism. I think most of your teaching kind of had a, a locality with California and Los Angeles to it, a world that is, is pretty pragmatic in many ways. Um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit of your perspective on that, where, you know, the, the, the wisdom and the depth of your wisdom comes from the Eastern mysticism and the Eastern pathways and lineages. When you think about migration, out of India. You know, many tens of thousands of years ago, as the upright walking pre-human creatures were testing their knowledge of space and um, tools and all that they could accomplish, you know, within a significantly simpler time. The migration spread across the Middle East, Southern Europe, the Near East, S South Asia, and then ultimately into Asia itself. And then from there, a long time later, it began to swing back toward the West, which had already been populated by people that you are living on their land, um, the First Nation people of Canada. And as the, as the migration of the various uh, components of humanity sort of spread across the Americas. It ended up on the western coast of America as perhaps, you know, couldn't go any further. We were at the edge of the ocean once again. And so in order to go further at that western coast of America, in this particular time, 
the, the inspiration was to go further inward. And so back in my uh, youth, my family was influenced by uh, some of the Eastern mysticism through Sri Yukteswar, who was the teacher and guru of Paramahansa Yogananda, who was the founder of self-realization and author of Autobiography of a Yogi. And that was introduced into my household before I was born. And that was a household in Seattle, which is where I am at this time. And so the whole idea of Eastern mysticism and Western pragmatism has been a part of my world since I was born. So it doesn't, it reminds me of the fish that's swimming next to the old fish and the old fish turns to the young fish and says, what do you think of the water? And the young fish looks back at the older fish and says, what's water? You know, yeah. so I have been in, I have been inside of this combination of East meets West for my entire life. So it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something that it, it seems like it's a coming together. It, it seems like it's, to me, it seems like it's always been together. And what the Eastern mysticism developed because they were not inundated by ice ages was less violence, more introspection, more of an exploration of the cosmos rather than a continuous need to conquer new lands. Mm. And as a polarity to that, what took place in Europe and the northern areas was the ice ages that destroyed their food stocks. And so they became strictly carnivorous, which is a very territorial attitude, a very violent and a very um, murderous kind of attitude. And so that pragmatism was sort of born out of the need to struggle and fight for every inch, whereas in South Asia, uh, the, the Indian subcontinent was protected by the, Himala the Himalayas from the growing glaciers and was always just kind of a cornucopia of, of food stock. Hence, you know, everybody wants to eat Indian food because <laughs> that's, you know, that's just so delicious. It's had thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution. So the East that meet, meets the West is really the, the non-attachment, the non-proprietary, the non-territorial meets the attachment, the proprietary, and the territorial and the non-attachment world was a world of 
introspection and the more domineering, the more aggressive world was a world of conquering that which is in front of you rather than exploring that which is the depths of inside of you. So that's what, uh, that's what arrived at the west coast of the United States. And as you know, from where you live at this time, when arriving at the, uh, at, on the shores of America and, and all across the Americas, there was an indigenous culture that was very much connected to the introspection. And there's a great book called um, uh, 1491. 1492 was when Columbus um, began the, the, um, the journey of exploration by landing on the shores of some of the Caribbean islands. And 1491 traces the incredible sophistication far, far, far from the barbaric labels that got placed on the first, the, the, the native indigenous people of the Americas by the conquerors. They, they needed to, they needed to brand them as primitive and barbaric and savage in order to propagandize the right to conquer them. You know, we're conquering bad people was basically the attitude. But as you would read in the book 1491, the indigenous people of the Americas were, were really yogis. They were really mystics. They were, they were also humanitarian. They, they were very much um, democratic. They were very much equality oriented. The, the female, the goddess, had a very high ranking in their, in their communities. And so really that East-West merging is, um, is what not only I've done in my life, and from the ones that were previous to me and my family, but also what we here on the Western coast of the Americas have, have really inherited is the, is the cultural ways of how, how can pragmatism coexist with introspection? How can <clears throat> higher consciousness coexist with common consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so I believe very strongly with the things such as what you're doing. And you know, Buckminster Fuller was a was a great advocate of, of these kinds of explorative um, combinations of looking at you know, the sacredness of geometry, which is a very physical structure outside of ourselves, and what it does to the sacredness 
of our own biometry, you know, the sacred structures within ourselves. I remember uh, I lived on some native land that was coexisting with some with some um, innovative uh, entrepreneurs back in the mid 60s, the mid 1960s. And there were geodesic domes, Buckminster Fuller style geodesic domes coexisting with, um, with kivas, Native American kivas, uh, underground living. Um, and um, yeah, it's a beautiful coexistence between the mysticism and the pragmatism. Yeah, thank you for taking us on this on this journey. I, there's there's a few images that that you know popped up really vividly for me, and um, a few kind of flags I made to to loop back into. And so, I I believe right now at this time, you know, we're we're at a solstice time, winter solstice in the northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, uh, summer solstice, turn of the ages, really, where uh, you know Jupiter and Saturn are going into a probably yeah not probably definitely once in a lifetime constellation in Aquarius that you know has been prophesized for a long time where this pragmatism that you know kind of out of out of, out of Europe that spread its way around the world it, these are my words they it, it very obviously um, s- seems to not have answers to a lot of the problems it's created itself and so the the solutions can only come from people like, let's mention Buckminster Fuller here again, that were visionaries of their time or mystics like yourself, teachers that are embodying the journey of the inward um, listening. Because really when we look, and these are words that, that I remember you, you sharing probably one of the podcasts I listened to or one of the, the, the classes I went to. When we look at the state of the world, the pragmatism that governs it, it's a leadership of almost like quotation marks here, children of consciousness, right? That, that have maybe pragmatically understood how to govern and rule this world and how to propagandize the world in a way that, that, that you know, makes it easy for many, many, many to just follow. But there's a new time arising and there's a new time that many of us have been waiting for and have incarnated for and have come here for and have been stewarding you know, kept these doors open until now. And I'm very curious on your perception and insights on, on this turn of the ages that, you know, we're, we're all gathering for at this time on the planet. Thank you. There are, you know, Buckminster Fuller and Sir Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein and Nikolai Tesla and amongst many, many pioneers in the discovery process of of science, but also the science that governs the pragmatic universe into which the mystical universe exists. And in Newtonian physics, for every action, there's an equal reaction, can be applied to what you were speaking of in that that European pragmatism has created many, many problems because of 
the aggressive nature of the lifestyle and um, you know to to brand it as European is a bit I guess is a bit offensive to that area of the land but it it, it did come out of that area and they did you know the Africans didn't colonize the world and the Chinese didn't colonize the world and you know but the Europeans did and we are living in a global result of that colonization, even though the colonial times are no longer expanding colonies. Not, not to interrupt you there, but we could almost say we're living in a, a, a next level of the Roman Empire. Yes, we're not expanding colonies through, through combative methods, but we're expanding colonies through capital methods, mm. um, where we're taking farmers off of their land all over the world and forcing them into factory settings, etc. So that has created a remarkable, you know, not that we've completely described it, but we don't have the time to go there. But that is, as you've indicated, produced an incredible amount of challenge, an incredible amount of unsolved struggles and dilemmas for which the only answer is through Isaac Newton's third law of motion for every action, there's an equal reaction. But if you're looking and focused on the problem, the solution that has got to be there, because the solution is the equal and opposite activity of the problem. So nothing can occur without its polarity. So an, a question cannot occur without an answer. A problem cannot occur without a solution. But in a pragmatic attitude, we're using our sympathetic nervous system. In a meditative attitude, we're employing our parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system knows the challenge, knows the problem, but cannot open enough to allow for true, real solutions to come in because it keeps its eye it keeps its sensory system focused on the challenge, on the challenge, on the challenge, striving to construct solutions out of parts of the challenge, which, as Buckminster Fuller and so many others have pioneered, the solution does not come out of the challenge. The solution coexists with the challenge. And in order to discover the solution, you have to be in an entirely contrary state of consciousness, which is where the sympathetic nervous system is the one creating the challenge. The parasympathetic nervous system is the one discovering the solutions, which is why we need to meditate, which is why we need to journey, which is why we need to explore inwardly which is why we need to relax and have dream time 
as the aboriginals would communicate from the dream time and i mean there are so many different ways different avenues of entering the parasympathetic nervous system which can give us a plethora of solutions Yeah, I, I like the parasympathetic nervous system as the entry point, because as you're saying, there is a need for meditation, for dream time, and even for slow time. You know, growing up in this society, in, in the, my early 20s, I reached this point almost at burnout where I realized, like, I'm just chasing because that's what everyone else around me is doing. And, you know, 10, 15 years later now, I'm, I'm, I'm luckily I've created the circumstances where there are some days where it feels like I'm doing nothing, but really those are the big days because when you do big things, right? When you do big things, things happen so fast. You need yeah. the days where you do nothing so that the energy can catch up with you. And when we look at the current leadership on this, on this planet as well, I want to make that link because, you know, I'm very curious about it. It's, it seems like there's never a stop to the show that's going on. Well, the, you know, yeah. that's the nature of the show. The nature of the show is that, well, it's, it, they, they, they talk about this when they talk about the economy. If you're not growing, you're dying. Mm. And that's the nature of the show. The show is just, you used a great word, and I think I used it too, propagandized. Um, the show is just the propaganda that supports the system of exchange. And the system of exchange on the planet right now is a debt, is a debt economy. There's another great book called uh, The Hidden Life of Trees, which demonstrates that the forests of the world, not the plantation forests, but the, the natural forests of the world, they have a much different form of economics. Yeah. Their economic system with the mycelium is that where there's a need, there's an there's a, there's a opportunity to meet that need with no debt created. That it's an asset-based rather than a debt-based economic system. That because capital is, in fact, not based on anything other than value, and that because this particular capital system was formed around the value of debt, we've created a system in which there has to be debt in order to have value, which is a very binary system. The forest created a banking system in which there was value that would initiate value, which is a very unitarian unilateral mm -hmm. banking system it's not a binary system the beauty of that kind of a system is the system that was also employed as you would read in 1491 the book 1491 is also the the system that was employed by many of the indigenous cultures around the world and it was an it was a non it was a non hunter it was a non hunter aggressor culture. In other words, 
I didn't need to conquer something to have it. I simply needed to have a need to use something in order to use it. And because they're in that, in that psychology, there is such an attitude of abundance and shared responsibility. We don't compete with each other over a limited supply. We emphasize the compatibility of each other over a mutual supply. And what ends up happening with that kind of a world is just like the goldfish in the bowl, right? You keep expanding the, the size of the bowl and the goldfish will keep growing to meet the size of the bowl. But if you have a prosperous world that has a, obviously the, ge the, the geology of the world is a fixed fact. There is X amount of resource. Some resource is renewable, some is not renewable. And within the balance of that renewable, non-renewable, sustainable, non-sustainable, within the balances of those measurements, the human population grows and remains and diminishes and grows and remains and diminishes, all the while giving the, the soul body the capacity to incarnate in a, in a culture of peace and equanimity and equality and without needing to struggle and compete mm -hmm. and combat with each other. This is, this is the future. Otherwise, there is no future. Yeah, here, here. Very, very powerful description. That is the pathway forward. And, you know, there's, I, I have for sure heard you say this before, there's a lot of cleanup to do on the way to get there. Uh, what I'm, what I'm yes. becoming more and more aware of myself is that this might be a lifetime journey to clean up, rebuild and be the generation to, to create this bridge that at some point we have, you know, these, these new children, this new consciousness, this new source coming into the body, not needing to be reprogrammed later on in their life because the initial program they get is so close to, you know, you mentioned it, the, the mycelium, the, the biomimicry, the, the green planet, the blue planet, the awareness, the life force that is inherent on this planet and all on all life on the planet. Yes, 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 yes. God bless you. This is such a truth. And children being born into this moment are being born for this moment. And if we don't indoctrinate them away from this moment, they will solve this moment. And those of us like yourself at your generation, myself and my generation, and the great ones that have gone before us and the great ones that are yet to come, literally need to create the new way without criticizing the broken way. In the Tao, it's called be the way of the way, which doesn't have to destroy the old system. 
because the moment you start trying to destroy the old system, that the adherents of the old system are going to feel threatened. Mm, total truth bumps over here in this moment, yes. And when we, when we don't try to destroy the old system, but we try to employ the old system as energy for the new mm. system, all of a sudden the old system feels useful even though it will be replaced. But the replacement, rather than being a ferocious, barbaric displacement, becomes more like that calm, evolutionary, as we say in music and video, the, the faders, you know, fade up, mm. fade down, right? Where, where the new scene starts to fade up and the old scene starts to fade down. And if you do it gently, which was one of the, you know, which is one of the primary attitudes of, of people like uh, Nikolai Tesla and, and Einstein and Buckminster Fuller, if you, if you create the transition gently enough, they assist each other rather than resist mm. each other. Which is almost like the mycelium in the forest if we think of a dying system, it's decomposing, right? So our current system, exactly. we're hospicing the system to death, which is actually the fertile ground for whatever wants to arise, whatever wants to emerge, which this has been a very challenging experience the last decade for me, the letting go of the picture what needs to arise, just holding the vision and working with what's there, what's actually ready to decompose and regrow rather than trying to get to this specific outcome, which is really hard, actually. And in that decomposition, that which was becomes fuel and food for that which is to be. Mm. And I call it, I made up a word, I always make up words. And I was told once that Nice. You should make up words because all words were made up at some point <laughs> in history anyway. That's not true. <laughs> and, and, and the word that I made up was quantumplation, which combines quantum and contemplation, right? And the way I look at mycelium and the decomposition is that it is a quantumplation. It's breaking everything down to its commonality, that which can be used and reused outside of the formed structure. It, it just disassembles it down to the molecular, to the atomic, to the subatomic levels, and then reassembles in a new form that will come through the dictations of time. We don't need to know exactly what is to be. We just need to allow, using your word again, for the decomp the gentle decomposition and the gentle composition, decomposing the past, composing the future in the present moment, which is the moment of allowing it to happen. I'm going to let that one drop in. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So much yes to that. At this threshold of allowing the next steps in one of the most 
essential skills I've observed to be part of this 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 allowing in is the resilience to 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 simply be okay with everything else that has been the resilience that allows us to move back into the hard and forward into the courage of the hard right the word courage and, and hard have a lot in common at least in french cur, uh, yeah courage. it is courage means a time of the heart courage i love your neologisms i think there's there's nothing more vital at this point than creating a new language because our old language is also failing us, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a polyglot. I learned a bunch of languages before I was 20 because it was just the curiosity of my consciousness and lucky circumstances. And I've been making up words all my life. And sometimes I realize how much vibration and association of the old carries with old words. And absolutely correct. So really, the time we're in then, and this is this gets me to smile, is a time of regenesence. It's a regenerative renaissance in which those who get it, those who feel it, those who have the inner calling, and then not just the inner calling, but the courage to act on it, which that, that's what I wanted to hear a bit more on, because that courage, it's like a musician. When you're on stage, you got to play, right? Yes. For those of us, the regenesis is real. For those of us, we are actually bringing this bridge. And it might take one year. It might take 10 years. It might take 50 years. It doesn't necessarily matter, I believe, as long as we're committed and believing and resilient and courageous in our action. And that is why we are here, whether we are in my generation, your generation, or the new ones that are being born, is, is that we are here to become those prophets that are following a prophecy rather than stating a prophecy. You talk about the regenesance, the ability to follow the prophecy of what nature is striving to achieve rather than imposing our will upon it, we are allowing it to take us as the wave of time that it is. And in doing so, by giving up that control, we are continuously entering a time that is unknown. And that is where the courage really is to be employed that courage of entering a space not yet occupied in order to allow a space to form that does not yet exist. And this is how we grow into what we call the future which is obviously another conversation, you know, the, 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 the reality of time. But since we're operating on this, you know, on this earth at this level, let's just let that one be the definition at this moment, mm -hmm. that we are entering a future 
that if we can allow ourselves to decompose the past, holding on to that from the past that is really a value, which is the, which is the quantum level of the past, the, the seeds that can germinate into this new um, construct, new composition, we will then be able to utilize things such as capital um, consciously um, until we until we allow something to replace mm. it. And that it, is already 100% happening, right? This yeah. is actually in the, in the capital world, which uh, for those of you who, who check in with the Planet Positive series that I publish as well, there's a weekly Tuesday 9 a.m. Pacific time call that anyone is invited to join as well. One of the things we're noticing is there is a desire in a lot of investors at this point to find well-vetted and well-put-together um, business proposals and initiatives that you know, this is not my language, but like save the planet. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that planet needs saving. That's another conversation for it, it itself entirely. But basically Understood. for humanity to move into harmony with the existence of nature. But the, 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 the reality I'm experiencing is that the craving is real. The craving in so many people, probably hundreds of millions of people on the planet at this point are craving to let go of, of these last pieces of the, you know, Jupiter, Saturn in an earth sign, like this, this system that we have that just take out as much as we can and try to mold it into things, which there's no problem with it, but it's, it's, it's done with. There is a new era awaiting, right? Yeah, there, there was no problem with it until it became overwhelming hmm. because the system that was governing it was a system that needed to constantly grow, otherwise it would die. And on a limited, the, the environment is a limited state. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a static state. There is no more land, there is no more iron, there is no more any of the, you know, there's in the carbon exchange, we can go, we can do that for a very long time, right? Plants and and animals can exchange back and forth. And that's a sustainable model. But in the model of constantly having to build stuff and then de destroy it, I mean, obviously, if you think about it in, in terms of hundreds of millions of years, yeah, our, our trash does ultimately decompose and, and, and recompose. But who has but time for hundreds of millions of years in the body? Yeah, we're not, we're not going to be able to work with that kind of time frame. Yeah, absolutely. There is there is something that has crystallized for me as a message over the last two, three years of doing this, having interviewed over 250, 60 people at this point. And it's, it's this, we're not on the planet to leave no footprint. We're here at this time to learn to leave a graceful footprint in harmony with nature. Wow, perfectly said, perfectly said. Yeah. And once we're letting that one in, the question becomes, what is a graceful footprint in harmony with nature? What is harmony with nature, right? And then it brings us full circle to where you started that the, the mystics, the inner world, the Eastern world, the uh, native traditions, I don't think they had it all figured out, but they definitely no, they had a, and, they had a connection to that. 
and one of the reasons why they were overwhelmed by the, the pragmatic aggressors was that they didn't have it all, all worked out and that there was a level of pragmatism that had to combine with that level of mysticism in order to get something that was going to be sustainable under all circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of like what we're dealing with now with COVID, that um, we have to have a little bit of the disease in order to build antibodies. So you have to have a little bit of pragmatism in order for mysticism to survive in it. And pragmatism has to have a little bit of mysticism in order for it to survive in a mystical world. And so it's the combination, that's the yin and the yang. It's the combination of this that allows in a binary construct, which is what the world, which is what the, the universe of matter, the material universe is, a binary construct, for it to exist, there has to be parts of both. Which is also us coming to terms with accepting reality as it is, right? We're, we're definitely in a big phase of reconciliation on the planet to reconcile a lot of that we avoided to look at. And, and really, it's also, I feel, a phase of commitment. It's a phase where we see who is committed to what and to which path. And, and so this is really one of the, one of the questions and prayers I, I, I carry that I, you know, it's like, what are we committed to? What am I committed to? What are you committed to? And yeah. I don't need to know everyone's answer. I don't need to verify if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But when we inquire that within our own consciousness, something changes. Well, what you're, what you're indicating there, when you say that not everyone has to have an answer, and not and not everyone's answer needs to be understood by everyone else. Yeah, is the is the world that you know science oftentimes describes in that you don't need to know all the answers, but you need to ask really good questions. And and it is that it's kind of the way that you've lived your life also in that really good questions come out of a healthy curiosity mm. and it appears that you've lived your life in a in a very healthy state of curiosity well it pays off right once you figure out that that's what makes things move and you know um i've said this many times on 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 my podcast in retrospect i'm calling it a spiritual initiation because i understand the words of rudolf steiner and his perspective of the seven year cycles but when i was 14 there was a really strong voice in me that's like hey man i want to go abroad and luckily somehow my parents supported me and so from that experience of thinking of it wanting it and then it happening and then being on the other side of the world pre facebook and skype and all of this the clarity of how that manifested you know, I didn't need to explain it to other people, but it was just with me. And, and so that, that just, um, you know, made exclamation marks behind living one's own dream and one, one's own soul's fullest expression of curiosity. But Guru Singh, not to talk more about me, we have just a few more minutes in this episode, and I wanted to ask a last question. Um, and that is about your prayer for the world. And I want to context this. You alluded towards time being a whole other conversation 
but let's zoom out in the timeline to the state of the world in a seven generational point of view. Not just back into our epigenetics, but forward into us being ancestors for the future. What is that prayer, that earth vision, that dream that you're carrying? The word in Sanskrit is bhavishya. Bhavishya is one of the, is one of the Puranas, of the 18 Puranas. And bhavishya means a history of the future. My prayer regarding the, the generations that are to come is really one that does not try to affect the future, but simply tries to, but simply allows itself to receive the future. Because the future on this planet has already taken place on other biological planetary systems. Mm -hmm. And so the future that we will experience through the generations to come, you mentioned the number seven, is a future that has already taken place. So it's a history in other biological planetary systems. But botanical and biological planetary systems throughout the cosmos. And so my prayer, which is a, which is a way of transceiving, transmitting and receiving is a prayerful attitude. My prayer is to allow the future that is already to take place through my receptivity. And that future literally is very successful because the future guarantees its own success because that's the nature of time. Time unfolds successfully. We create these, we create these micro um, climates inside of the, inside of the great uh, meteorology of time, right? Mm. We create these micro storms, but they're just insignificant in relationship to the total. And whether or not humanity will be able to continue to occupy this particular planetary system will be determined by the amount of acceptance of the future that already is. Mm. Hmm? And I believe that uh, because of the way that things are happening um, so rapidly here on Earth, I believe that the future is a bit of a guarantee. You know, it's not a, uh, it's not a gamble. It's not a roll of the dice. And the, the way things are breaking down, I mean, look at what happened with, with COVID, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of research that's gone into human memory and how human memory was actually created out of bacteria. Um, and also 
how a, a great amount of human evolution was created out of other viruses that attacked the, the overall genome. And so COVID has done a remarkable job in creating homeschooling, which means that we no longer have the reading, writing, and arithmetic and the standardized testing and all of this other stuff that was completely destroying the educational spirit. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now kids are now kids are forming their own, like you probably did at 14, are forming their own way of learning, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like the amount of languages that you learned before you were 20 is not the norm, but it was a, it was the spirit of the discovery. It was the attitude of curiosity. That's what exists within the human genome. And if we allow that to, well, the virus, forget allowing it, the virus has forced it. So once again, bacteria and virus are forcing the evolution of Bavishia, which means the future's history is coming into existence as we move forward. May it be so. Bavishia, that's a new one for me. Thank you so much, Guru Singh, for your time, for your insights, for that passion. Uh, truly appreciate the, this episode with you. Truly appreciate. You're not only curious, but you're persistent. Because I'll just tell all of you viewers and listeners out there that this gentleman... Here we are. This is your host, Julian. Thanks for listening. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, relationships, and business, and the way you show up as your best self for the world. Did you know that we just launched a participatory Patreon asking you for your contributions of content and gifting a monthly subscription to our shared mission? The Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, video interviews, and community is growing, and together we can make it count and carry big ripples. So go and check out the Patreon. It's linked out in the show notes of every episode. The Patreon for Green Planet, Blue Planet, and the community we're building together. Thanks for choosing to support with your time, money, or content. And that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, review the show, share it with a friend, spread the love, and have yourself a stellar day. All the best. Mm -hmm.